Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. He was, there you go, he was, he's referred to as an Agagite. And Agag was the king of the Amalekites, as you read of him back in the book of Judges. And so he's the last of the Agagites, the last of the Amalekites. So as I read through the story of the book of Esther, we're not going to read the whole book, but portions of it. When we come to the name of the bad man in the book of Esther, you can stamp your feet, hiss, and use the groggers. But if you use them before then, then you get fined. (laughs) But when we say the name Haman, you're free. Now, the first time that I ever heard this was when I came here some five years ago and we celebrated a poem together. When I would read the book, The Name of Esther, everyone... Everyone here was saying, ah, (laughs) that's what I remember. So you're free to do that. And when I said the name Mordecai, they said, yay. So you're free to do that as well. But I don't think they do that in the synagogues, do they? No, no, they just do. They they do synagogues. I'm not talking about Messianic congregation. I'm talking about synagogues. They do that. I remember growing up, all we did was Haman. Boo, hiss. But I don't remember the Mordecai Esther tribute. But okay. So let's uh, read through the book of Esther. Now, the story of the book of Esther takes place about 450 years before the time of Messiah. We find the Jewish people were exiled by the Babylonians about 600 years before the time of Messiah. And then around 536, under Cyrus, the Persians destroyed the Babylonians, took control of the then-known world, and took control of the land of Israel and the Jewish people. But Cyrus was a very kind ruler, and he permitted the Jewish people to return to the land of Israel. But not all the Jewish people returned. Some stayed in the land of Babylon, some migrated throughout other regions of the Persian Empire. And so we find in the book of Esther that the Jewish people now are under the rule of Persia, and this event takes place in the country of Persia, predominantly in the city of Shushan, which was the capital of the Persian Empire at the time. When the story of the book of Esther opens up, we find that Artaxerxes... Xerxes, I remember him growing up as referred to as Ahasuerus. Some of the translations have Ajuaris. Whatever name you choose, he was the king at the time, and he was throwing a party to display all of his wealth and all of his power. So we read that he ruled over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Kush. Kush is like Libya today. So all the way from India through Afghanistan, Pakistan today, through Iran, through Iraq, through the land of Israel, down into Egypt, and all the way over to Libya. And this party that he threw, look at verse 4, lasted for 180 days. So that's like half the year. Had to be fun, right, Andrea? (laughs) Andrea knows how to party. She would have enjoyed herself, as we all would. 
and he begins to display his power. And then at one point, he wants his queen, Vashti, who is very beautiful, to appear before all of those that were at the party. But Vashti wouldn't, wouldn't come. She was the beginning. She was like the founder of now. And so she decided, the National Organization for we're not going. No equal pay, we're not going. So she doesn't show. And now everybody's really upset that the queen of Persia doesn't appear. And so the king, he's got, he's got what do I do about this? So he gets his wise men around him and they say, you know, if you don't do something, we're going to be in serious trouble because then all the women, all the wives throughout the kingdom won't obey their husbands. And you don't want that to happen, do you? That's found in verse 11. For the queen's conduct will become known. This is really nice translation. You know, it's written very nicely, you know. Uh, For the queen's conduct (laughs) will become known to all the women. And so they will despise their husbands. And we can't have that. There'll be no end. Look at this in verse 18. Of disrespect and discord. You know, we might be able to handle the disrespect, but discord can't handle that. So they tell him, look, have a beauty pageant and have all the women of Persia invited to come to display their beauty before you. And then you choose a new wife and get rid of Vashti. And so the king says, that's that's a good idea. (laughs) He likes that idea. So he has the the women come before him. And it says in verse 8, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa. They were put under the care of Haggai. Esther. Esther also is taken to the king's palace and entrusted. The girl pleased him, won his favor, and immediately he provided her, I like this, or at least you ought to like this, women, uh, with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. And look at this, verse 12. Before a girl's turn came, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments. I don't think you can remain ugly. If you got, I don't care who you are, you know? 12 months of beauty treatments. And I'll tell you, if you're in L.A., you have no problem at all, right? So the king gave a, uh, gave a great banquet. They had the 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed, six months with oil of myrrh, six with perfume and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. And so the girls were brought before her, before him, and the king chooses Esther. doesn't really sound like you guys really like Mordecai or Esther. It's a little anemic. But that's all right. That's all right. One day you'll meet him and he'll say, how come you guys just didn't really cheer for me? But that's what you got to do. You'll have to deal with that. But then the time came when Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate and Big Big Thana and Teresh threw the king's officers and guards at the door. They became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes or Ajuarish or Achashverosh. But Mordecai found out about... about (laughs) In turn, of course, you know, we've got like six hours, so... And it won't take six hours. <laughs> really? You know, it's not going to be. And so uh, he tells Esther, and in turn, she reports it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, thank you, I went over that too quick. Uh, two officials were hanged on a gallows. Probably the idea is not so much hang on a gallows like in the Wild West, but you know, the Assyrians, the Persians, they were brutal people. They probably impaled them, but we don't have to go into all of that. In any case, when the report was investigated, found to be true, they were hanged. And all this was recorded in the book of the accomplishments of the king. So in chapter 3, after these events, King Ahasuerus honored Haman. 
I mean, you guys are like slow on the hand thing. You know, it's got to be boom. That's true. We're out, we're out of practice. Out of practice. So, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate, they knelt down and paid honor to Haman. Still some stragglers. For the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down. Thank you. And not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate, they asked Mordecai. Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day, they refused him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he told them he was Jewish. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him homage, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were. He scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Indeed, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jewish people, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So in the twelfth month year of King Ahasuerus, in the first month, the month of Nisan, 14th of Nisan is Passover, Nisan, they cast the poor, that is the lot, in the presence of Haman to select a day and month. And the lot fell on the 12th month, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all other people and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. I'll put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. So the king took his signet ring from his finger. He gave it to Haman. The son of Amadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jewish people. Keep the money, the king said to Haman. Do to the Jewish people as you please. And so a decree goes out determining this day as the day when there's open season on the Jewish people. That decree was signed with the king's ring was understood in the ancient world, or at least in the Persian culture, that when a king signed a decree with his ring, he was motivated, moved by the gods. And it wasn't just the king's decree any longer, but it was actually the gods of Persia's decree. So not even the king could reverse this decree. So the decree goes out, signed with the king's ring. It can't be even rescinded by the king. And thus the Jewish people are targeted for attack and for destruction and death on this particular occasion. In chapter 4, when Mordecai learned of all all that had been done, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and ashes, he went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly, but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jewish people. With fasting, weeping, and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hatach, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hatach went to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had 
had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jewish people. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. And so Hatak went back, reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the golden scepter to him and spare his life. But it's been 30 days since I was called to go to the king. So when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jewish people will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jewish people will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. So Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jewish people who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Now on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. And in chapter 5, with those royal robes, she approaches to come before the king. The king sees Queen Esther, and he extends the royal scepter to her. And the king says, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now, what is your petition? It will be given you, and what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman... Come tomorrow to the banquet that I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Later in chapter 5, what we find in verse 9, it says, Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all. Haman added, I'm the only person, Queen Esther, invited to accompany accompany the king to the banquet she's giving. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, have a gallows built. 
75 feet high, asked the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go with the king to the dinner and be happy. This suggestion delighted Haman. And he had the gallows built. In chapter 6, we read of the evening before the banquet that Esther will provide for the king. Just testing you guys this evening. So in verse 6, that night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the chronicles of the king's record of his reign to be brought in and read to him. As they're reading to him, the king couldn't sleep. So what better thing to read than what you've done? And so as he's trying to fall asleep, they're reading to him a bedside, bedside story of his life's accomplishments. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway who had conspired to assassinate the king. And so the king asked, has anything been, has anything been done to honor Mordecai? And his attendants answered, no, nothing has been done. Early the next morning, there's a knock at the door. <laughs> the king says, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had built for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. And when Haman entered, the king asked, what, asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman, he thought to himself, who would the king rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king, king delights to honor who is me, have him bring a royal robe that the king has worn to put on me and a horse the king has ridden that I will ride, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to the one of the king's most noble princes and let them robe the man, who must be me, the, the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, that is me, this is what is done for the man, that's me, the king delights to honor. So go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai, led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman, he rushed home with his head covered in grief. He told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. So in chapter 7, the king, an evil one, joins Esther for the banquet. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther, and as they were drinking wine on that second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. 
Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. Spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had been merely sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Ahasuerosh asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, so angry that he left his wine, went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, he stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. And just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's... They covered his face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, I stands by Haman's house. He had made it for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. And the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's fury subsided. In the remaining two chapters of the book of Esther, we, we read that the Jewish people, because of this edict, could not have the edict reversed. It was signed with the king's ring. So the king signed an additional edict that permitted the Jewish people to defend themselves. And so that, and they had victory over their enemies, and they were able to receive the spoils from their prey. And so we read in verse 23 at the end, talking about how the Jewish people from that time to the present continue to celebrate Purim. It says, so the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, Son of Amadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the poor, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But the plot came to the king's attention. He issued written, had devised against the Jews, should come back onto his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. In chapter 10, it concludes by saying, King Ahasuerus imposed a tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores. In all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king had raised him, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai, the Jew, was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, preeminent among the Jewish people, and held the high esteem by his many fellow Jews. And because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews, he was so honored. What a great story, what a great account, what a great illustration of God's protective care. So I just want to mention three things that strike me from this passage, this book. There are many things that can be talked about. There are uniquenesses of this book as well. But rather than to focus on that, I just want to think about, think with you about three things. The first is this, God's love for his people. It is quite astounding, isn't it, that despite the attempts by the enemies of the Jewish people during the time of Mordecai and Esther, that God came to their deliverance 
and brought them through and restored them, honored them, and protected them. That was because he has set his love upon the Jewish people. We need to always be mindful of that which is the object of God's care, of God's longing, of God's joy, of God's heart, of God's love. And so over and over again, we are reminded of how special, how chosen, how set apart, how elected are the Jewish people from all nations of the world. Now, I say that, and the scripture says that not to deprecate other nations, but to honor this particular group of people whom God has set apart unto himself as the scripture reveals his chosen people. So it is quite astounding, though not surprising, that in our own day and age, we are seeing such a dramatic rise in the hatred of God's chosen people. Is it not? I mean, I never believed that there would be a time in my lifetime that I would think that anti-Semitism would be so high as it were and to supersede what had transpired during World War II and the rise of Nazism. I never thought that there could be a people more wicked than the Nazis. But we are seeing that play out right before our eyes. We're seeing a group of radical uh, Islamists who are more wicked, in my opinion, my opinion, so don't take me to court for defamation, it's just my opinion, that who are the most wicked people that I can imagine. A people who still God loves, that would want to see turned so as not to perish for eternity, but to have eternal life. It's mind-boggling to think that, but indeed that is what the scripture says, for God so loved the world, and that the death of Messiah can be applied to the greatest and most wicked and vilest, if that's a word, vile of sinners. And certainly if Haman depicts such a one, ISIS depicts such a group. But as I was looking through the internet, just checking out what is there on anti-Semitism, I came across all kinds of stuff that is quite remarkable to me. This is just a listing from the Anti-Defamation League by nation by nation of significant, significant enough to be published, acts of anti-Semitism that occurred in 2014. Just in 2014. And these are not all the things that have happened, but the most notable. And so I started outlining. I mean, I could take a long time and, you know, but I just want you to hear some of this stuff. On December 17th, this is in Argentina. On December 17th, 2014, in Buenos Aires, swastikas were found etched into the doors of the Avado Jewish Community Center. On November 11th, in Buenos Aires, do good to the country, kill a Jew was found spray-painted in the once neighborhood, an area, or the Anse neighborhood, an area that has a large population of Orthodox Jews. In another, I can't read it, but in Basso, swastikas were spray-painted on the Tefila Lemoises Central Synagogue. I'm not reading you all. That's just three things that jump out at me. That's just Argentina. We can go to Australia where in August of 25th, anti-Semitic flyers were placed in mailboxes of homes in two Jewish neighborhoods. The flyers read, Wake up as Australia. Jews have been kicked out of countries 109 times through history. Could it be that having them in a European country is harmful to the host? They also included an invitation to join Squadron 88, a local white supremacist group. August 6th, in Sydney, six underage males boarded a bus transporting a group of Jewish students aged 5 to 12, shouting, Heil Hitler, kill the Jews, while threatening the young students with violence. That's Australia. In Belgium, November 15th, a rabbi was stabbed in the throat by an unknown assailant while walking to synagogue. In another town, in September 16th, a synagogue was the target of an arson attack. July 30th, in Antwerp, a Belgian doctor refused to treat a Jewish woman, telling her son, send her to Gaza for a few hours, then she'll get rid of the pain. 
In July 23rd, a cafe posted signs in Turkish and French on the window which said, Dogs are allowed in this establishment, but Jews are not under, are not under any circumstances. In May, a gunman opened fire inside the Jewish Museum, killing Israeli tourists Emmanuel and Mira Riva and two others. On May 30th, Mendy Namach, I can't read it, a French national who had previously fought in Syria for ISIS, was arrested at a train station. In Brazil, graffiti reading death to the Jews, they are a human waste. I want all Jews to be burned. And they are closing the Federal University of Santa Catarina and all and we will transform it into a concentration camp. In Bulgaria, June 4th, swastikas were painted on the fence of the Sophia Central Synagogue. In Canada, in Calgary, swastikas and other graffiti were scrawled on a synagogue and five local schools. In Denmark, a Jewish school was, uh, a Jewish school was, had its windows broken and was spray-painted with slogans reading, No peace in Gaza, no peace to you Zionist pigs. In France, a Jewish couple, a 19-year-old woman and a 21-year-old partner at gunpoint, and then the woman was attacked and violated. The assailants told the couple they shouldn't try to pretend they didn't have money because they knew they were Jewish. In another, Jewish in another town in France, following an anti-Israel demonstration, protesters threw Molotov cocktails at the security kiosk of the Jewish community center. They exploded but missed their target and the attacker. In Paris, police arrested 16 people. This is July, mostly minors for yelling death to Jews at a patrons of a restaurant on Rue des Rossières, one of the more famous streets in the old Jewish quarter of Paris. The something kosher supermarket, July 20th, was set ablaze with a Molotov cocktail was thrown inside the store during an illegal anti-Israel demonstration. J July 18th, a banner with Israel assassin was hung on the gate of a synagogue. I could go on here. He's here in May, it says, Assailants who said, we know it was you who called the cops yesterday. A Jewish man was attacked by three assailants. We know it was you who called the cops yesterday. You Jews are all the same. You're a dirty Jew. We know where you live. The man sustained a broken elbow during the incident. In Germany, Molotov cocktails were thrown at the doors of a synagogue. In Greece, Jewish cemeteries vandalized with anti-Semitic graffiti, including swastikas and slodens, Juden, and six million more. In Hungary, over 50 Jewish graves were smashed, knocked over in a local synagogue, uh, cemetery. To, and uh, Jewish tombstones were defaced with swastikas, anti-Semitic slurs, stinking Jews. And there was no Holocaust, but there will be. In Ireland, the windows of a local synagogue smashed on consecutive days. In Italy, a synagogue door was defaced. The words, Jewish pigs, we will kill you. In Mexico, a banner was found near the Mexican Senate that read, all of Peña Nieto's public authorities are Jews. They steal millions, Jewish murderers. In Morocco, the rabbi of the Jewish community was attacked by an assailant. In Norway, several tombstones, Jewish cemetery, were defaced. In Russia, graffiti was written. In South Africa, in Sweden, in Spain, in Switzerland, in Tunisia, in Turkey. Is there a nation left out? In the Ukraine, in the United Kingdom, in Uruguay, in Venezuela, in New Zealand. Is this not amazing too? Is this not astounding? Were you familiar with all of this? This is just 2014. I read this article, Swedish Public Radio. In an interview with Isaac Bachman, Israel's ambassador to Sweden, Israel's ambassador to Sweden, this uh, interviewer, Helena Grohl, she asked him, do the Jews themselves have any responsibility in the growing anti-Semitism that we see now? This is an interview with the consulate representative. Bachman naturally, that's the Israeli ambassador, was taken aback. I reject the question altogether, he said. The question of how a woman contributes to the fact of being raped is irrelevant altogether. I don't think there is any provocation that Jews are doing. They just exist. But Grohl wasn't finished, attempting to pin the blame for European intolerance on its victims and proceeded to suggest that Jews in Europe might have it coming due to the actions of completely different Jews in the Middle East. She said, but a lot of people would look at the Middle East today and say there are various conflicts that we know between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And a lot of people might say, 
We see the gods of war. We see things that have been happening that Israel and Jews and Israel have a responsibility to reactions that are coming. This idea that the Jews are responsible for their their own uh, being attacked. Here's another thing. This is just the New York Times. That was the Anti-Defamation League. But look at the New York Times. I mean, you can just go on and on with a series of events that they reported. Now, it's not all bad news, but 99.9% of it is. But I read this interesting article in Norway. Muslims protested the anti-Jewish violence. Did you know this? A week after a volunteer guard was shot and killed at a synagogue in Denmark, members of Norway's Muslim community formed a symbolic human chain in front of an Oslo synagogue to protest recent anti-Jewish violence in Europe. On Saturday evening, more than 1,000 Norwegians of all faiths flooded Bergstein Street. The number of special symbolic residents is roughly equal to that of Norway's small Jewish community. And the Muslim leader said, as Muslims, we do also feel the stigma these days. And this is partially why we are hosting this event, to take a strong stance against all types of hatred, violence, and particularly, in this case, anti-Semitism, both within our own ranks and from society as a whole. And Muslim group that joined hands around the synagogue in protection of the synagogue. And interestingly enough, the synagogue in the back, the doorway, the entrance says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. So it was kind of symbolic to me. I bring this up because you cannot ignore the story or the reality of anti-Semitism in the book of Esther. And you cannot ignore the rise of anti-Semitism in our world at this time and at this juncture in history. And so we need not only be aware, we need to be voices that speak out We need to have actions that demonstrate our horror, our anger, and our dismay at a world that is beginning to unravel and fall apart, not least of which because of its attitude exhibited toward God's chosen people. And dare I say it, but we in this country are in deep, deep trouble if our present administration and other leaders continue to move in a direction that attempts to ostracize themselves from, alienate themselves from, and fail to support the state of Israel. Now, I read that on Tuesday, I think it's Tuesday or Monday, when Prime Minister Netanyahu will speak to the uh, Joint House of Congress, is that what they call it? House and Senate, that there are 34 at this time Democrats that are planning on walking out and that all the members of the Black Caucus are planning on walking out, not just not appearing, but walking out when he, that is Prime Minister Netanyahu, takes uh, the podium. So this is a dramatic moment in our world and in our nation. So we are not to put our heads in the sand and ignore it. I realize there's a lot of things going on in our own personal lives. But there are some very dastardly things going on in our world. And it will not be too long from now, I believe, that many of us in this country who are Jewish are going to start experiencing much of the same things that we're reading about in other countries. And if you've seen some of the videos of Jewish students on our college campuses, you can see how it is already emerging, mushrooming, and growing from campus to campus, county to county, state to state. And so I'm very much concerned about this. And I'm very much concerned because of what the Scripture tells us. I will bless them that bless thee, but I will curse them that curse thee. We remember the Lord says that Israel is the apple, the pupil of my eye. And you know what happens when anything gets near your eye, you immediately work to destroy it, get it out of the way, and relieve yourself from the potential harm. God says Israel is like that to him. 
And when individuals attack the Jewish people, it is like a finger in the eye of God. And he will, he will respond in great judgment and in great acts of retribution. So I fear for our nation and I fear for our world. But on the other hand, the book of Esther is not only about anti-Semitism that we need to be mindful of in our own day. It's about the love of God, despite these things that go on. I'm sure there are Jewish people, we've read about all the things they suffer, that wonder, where is God in all of this? And I'm sure that we wonder that about that in our own lives. And that's a question that is raised in Scripture. So it's not as if it's wrong to ask the question. But I was drawn, as I've shared my woes with some of my friends, that recently... Um, one of my friends shared a passage with me that I want to share with you with respect to the nature of God. Because in Exodus chapter 6, the Jewish people are under great duress. And the Egyptians are persecuting, harming the Israelite slaves at the time. So much so that the Egyptians said, now you're not even going to get an allotment of straw to make bricks. And when that transpires, Moses begins to cry out to God. I've thought similarly, to be quite honest and frank with you, given the things that have transpired here at Beth Ariel, don't think that I haven't asked myself these very same questions Moses asks God here, and that I've asked God. In verse 22, he said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. You know, sometimes I look out in the congregation, a lot of our folks are gone. I think, have you sent me here for this? Is that why that has happened? I'm telling you, this has not been an easy time for me, but I don't want to focus attention on me. I just want to let you know that this is real stuff. And it's real to me. I hope it's real to you. I think you've probably asked that same question given your own circumstances in life. Have you really brought me into this place so that this would happen I thought you brought me here for something else to happen. We've all asked that question. But here's an interesting passage. Look what the Lord says in verse 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out. Here's the phrase. God said to Moses, I am the Lord. He says it again. Look at verse 8. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. It is not you and I who manufacture the events in our lives. We might come and we might do for whatever reason it might be thought of in our own minds. But God says, I am the Lord. And what will be will be what I want it to be. Your responsibility is to do what I've called you and sent you to do. And what is this about? This is about the fact that God is sovereign. Esther asked the same question. Have you sent me here so as to risk my life by going to the king? And for what purpose? And if he does not extend that scepter, I am most troubled. But God says, I am the Lord and I've set you here for such a purpose. Mordecai is the communicator of that message. Perhaps the Lord has sent you here for such a time as this. So when we see things unravel around our world, and when we see things unravel in our own lives, and the question marks rise, and the discouragement results, we need to remind ourselves, I am the Lord, and I am in control of all things. And I have a plan and purpose. And it will not be thwarted or frustrated. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. I have set my love upon you, he says to the Jewish people in Deuteronomy 7. He says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah issue. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Anti-Semitism is real. Anger, hatred, vindictiveness is real, that occurs in our world as well as in our community, as well as in our body. But it is also true that God is God. 
And he has orchestrated things for his purpose. And here's the third thing that strikes me. Not only the love of God in our world, not only the challenges that ought to draw attention to the sovereign workings of God in our world, but to balance out the sovereign workings of God in the world is the significance and the importance of prayer. Because that's what Moses is doing. He's talking to God. He's praying to God. And not only about prayer, but it is Esther that says, have the community fast for me and pray for me so that I might be brought through. Yeshua himself says at the time of his greatest trial, he says, could you not stay up with me a few hours to pray with me? And thus he prays, not my will be done, but thy will be done. There is some... I was going to say magicalness, but that sounds too weird. There is some supernatural reality of a conjunction of God's sovereign grace and our prayers. And none of us know what it is. But somehow there's a conjunction of the two. And really our prayers become the manifestation of what God's will is for us. I'm not saying when we pray, oh, that's what God wants. I'm saying that when we pray, perhaps God lets us know what he wants. And thus, our prayers might change. But the whole point is the need to depend upon God in prayer. So I've sort of said a few things here, and they've gotten kind of jumbled up even in my own mind. I wanted to also share one last thing. The reality of anti-Semitism I've talked about. The necessity to focus our attention on God who is God. And the need for us to be a people of prayer, individually and collectively. We've not done a good job of that here, perhaps individually, but not collectively. And we need to do better because we've got a lot of things that are on the uh, merge, uh, on the verge of occurring. And so we need to take it to the Lord in prayer. But here's the last thing I, I wanted to share, and that is the necessity for courage. Esther and Mordecai are examples of great courage. To think that Mordecai would go and to reveal these individuals who are not Jews and who are at the king's gate. That means they're in leadership somewhere. And yet he was ready to let the king know these people are not your friends. That took courage. And it took courage for Esther to go before the queen, the king. It took courage for Esther to stand before her enemy and to call attention to what, that he was the one who was the instigator. And remember, the king had signed the edict with his ring. She had to confront the king too about what he had done. That takes incredible courage, as best as I can think of it. And I think when I look at the book of Acts, it's the courage of these early believers. They'd be in prison, in prison and they would pray, Lord, give us even more boldness, courage to share your word. They didn't pray, help us get out of this, although that would be my prayer. But they said, Lord, strengthen us, fortify us, build us up that we could proclaim this truth even more clearly, more convincingly, and in a way that will motivate individuals to embrace it. These were courageous people that were willing to stand up rather than run away, that were willing to embrace God rather than to exclude him and to walk away from him. So there are things in all of our lives, I'm sure, that demand courage that only God can provide. And so we have a high priest who knows our greatest of needs and has experienced them fully. And thus we can go before the throne of grace with boldness and any kind and at any time of need. Because it is he who can grant us the courage persevere and to follow him and to serve him as we should. Now, let me just conclude with reading one of my favorite, if not my favorite, song of songs. And it is, it is such an encouragement to me in this area of courage. Remember, there's anti-Semitism is real. It is empowered by the evil one, but the Lord will bring it to an end, as exemplified here in the book of Esther. Remember, God is sovereign. He's on the throne and his will will be accomplished. Remember that prayer is a vital element in the unfolding of God's will and courage, the empowering of his people. That's what the book of Esther teaches me, at least today. 
And so Bob Dylan wrote this song that has always encouraged me. Of course, any one of his songs encouraged me. But here it is. You have given everything to me. What can I do for you? You have given me eyes to see. What can I do for you? You pulled me out of bondage and you made me renewed inside. You filled up a hunger that has always been denied. You opened up a door no man can shut and you opened it up so wide. And you've chosen me to be among the few. What can I do for you? You laid down your life for me. What can I do for you? You have explained every mystery. What can I do for you? Soon as a man is born, you know the sparks begin to fly. He gets wise in his own eyes, and he's made to believe a lie. Who would deliver him from the death he's bound to die? You've done it all, and there's no more anyone can pretend to do. What can I do for you? You have given all there is to give. What can I do for you? You have given me life to live. How can I live for you? I know all about poison. I know all about the fiery darts. I don't care how rough the road is. Show me where it starts. Whatever pleases you, tell it to my heart. I don't deserve it. But with you, I will make it through. What can I do for you? Let's pray. Our God and Father, the book of Esther illustrates these truths and more. We are living in a world where the fiery darts of the enemy is being flown and thrown with great ferocity and force. And anti-Semitism is growing throughout the world and in our own nation and, in, and among our own leadership. And thus, Father, we know all about such poisons and we know all about such fiery darts. Father, we know that you are on the throne and that things occur according to your will and according to your program. And yet, somehow, you invite us to participate in the unfolding of all these things through prayer and service. Help us to be a people of prayer. Help us to be a people of courage. And help us follow you, no matter how rough the road is. Tell us where it starts. And with you along our side. We can walk faithfully before you and face whatever challenges may come before us. And then, Lord, we would lift up before you your people, Israel. We pray, Father, that you will strengthen those Jewish people scattered around the four corners of the earth that are living with great fear and great ambiguity and great consternation not knowing what the next day might bring. May your protective hand of grace rest on your people. We pray for the land of Israel and the people of Israel and the nation of Israel. They are surrounded by enemies on all sides. And an enemy that has over and over and over and over again promised its annihilation If given the opportunity, we pray, Lord, that you will watch over your people, you will protect them, and that you might frustrate the attempts of the Iranians 
to gain nuclear weaponry. So, Lord, we pray these things, knowing that you are a God who is in control of all things. And then we lift ourselves up to you. Might you infuse us with great courage and inspire us to deep, meaningful, and significant prayers that lay out before you our own hurts as well as our desires. May they be prayers that resonate with praise and adoration for who you are and celebrate the fulfilling and the bringing forth of your purposes and your will in our world. So, Lord, in the final analysis, there is not anything we can do for you, but there are things we can do when empowered by you. We pray that you will help us in this regard and open the hearts of your people, Israel, to the truths of Yeshua. Open the hearts of many Muslims to the truths of Messiah. Open the hearts of many of your own people who love you with the need to communicate these truths to the lost around us. Pour out your spirit in the greater LA area and may its result be many coming to know you as Messiah and Lord. Help us to do this for you have done everything that one could possibly do for us. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.